0: Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host, Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. On today's episode, I have, of course, all my guests are special, but this one is an extra special guest because I've known him for quite a while uh, in terms of how many years I've known my other guests. And we've actually met in person at ISTE. And I think the first time at ISTI was 18, may have been 17. I don't think we met in 17, I think it was ISTE 18. And we are both on the Global Collaboration Network for ISTE. And so we've worked together uh, on a team. And so I'm so excited to have my guest, all the way from Malaysia. Actually, it's New Zealand via Malaysia, uh, Dr. Michael Harvey. Welcome, Michael.
1: Uh, yes, Kiora uh, and Salamat the Tang. Um, yep, so Dr. Michael Harvey here. And uh, it's great to be part of this um, opportunity to kind of chat uh, the next yeah. half an hour or so, yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you. And so I didn't really say too much about you, what you're doing, where you are. Well, I mentioned where you are, but people might not know why you're there. So tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Um, okay, how far do I go back? Um, so obviously it's doctor. So I have a, a PhD in organic chemistry but I'm also a wandering soul and I do like to learn stuff. Um, So I've had about five career changes. So I started off being a research chemist and then I moved into government public policy back in New Zealand, Wellington in the capital uh, and then moved uh, into becoming a patent attorney. Um, So yeah, I'm also trained to uh, do patent attorney if if anyone has any patents out there, especially around chemistry and biochemistry um and then i decided i'd like to quit that and i became a life coach in australia for six months um and then i transitioned to become a a global well an educator to start off with and i started off uh in in auckland uh in new zealand uh worked there for three years at saint peter's college uh, which is a catholic boys school um and then moved into international teaching by working at the british school of nanjing uh in china and then that was a two-year contract and now I've moved to Malaysia where I'm in my third year of my um, contract um, here at Marlborough College uh, in Malaysia, which is in Johor, Peru. Um, yeah, so my, my interests really are, um, well, twofold in a way. Um, it's about global collaboration and, and getting um, people collaborating together um, globally uh, in very constructive ways. Uh, that's, that's how I met uh, Eileen through the, the ISTE Global PLN. Uh, I also, um, do a bit of uh, side sidebar work uh, in the Kakuma refugee uh, camp. Well, it was more last year with, with COVID. Obviously, that's been closed. Uh, hopefully, opening up uh, next year. Uh, and I also work in the Roots and Shoots SDG School in Tanzania with Cool uh, and Timbers, where I, I teach students about the the SDGs. Um, in terms of my my science teaching, I, I quite like using AR and, and VR in the classroom and, and digital technologies around that to try and uh, Use visual images to try and explain uh, complex scientific concepts. Uh, it's kind of a, a brief overview. I'm sure we'll discuss other things as we go on through the, the interview.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and dig a little bit deeper into some of those things. But, uh, you know, I've known you for several years, but there, there are parts of that that I didn't realize about you in terms of your, your work and how you've taken different turns in your career. Uh, which I have also, and and many of us, you know, who are listening probably also, but um, it's interesting to see how our paths sort of end up in teaching, even though we didn't intend to have it start there. And I, I know how passionate you are about that. So the first question I usually ask my guests is if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing or things that come to mind?
1: Yeah, belongs very interesting. I mean, it's, it's where, I guess, I've decided to, to come um, in terms of why I'm now an educator. Um, I also watched the Pixar movie yesterday called Soul. Um, so in that movie, they talk about your purpose or your spark. Uh, and, and one thing that, that led me to become a teacher was the, the conversation I had with my, my first principal, um, Mr. Kieran Fooey, who had been in teaching um, for 50 years. And we we'll were discussing, well, why why do you want to become a teacher? Uh, and because he came from a Catholic tradition, uh, he was always the idea of leadership and the idea of service as being um, the direction uh, where he saw leadership as going. So it's about finding a purpose, I think, through service, uh, service and belonging through providing um, the young people um, with information, knowledge um, to mean that they can become uh, active members in our societies. And I think that's that's kind of of resonated with me, um, even though I'm not Christian myself, uh, as a non-Catholic, the idea of of uh, leadership through service. And and, and that's how I approach belonging. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah, it's so so interesting in terms of making those connections to uh, the fact that we are connected, how we're connected and giving back to those we're connected to, even if that connection isn't direct. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was your interest in global collaboration and your connections, your networking with, with people out, you know, around the globe. So i mentioned, and, and also you did too, about the IST Global PLN, but we're also part of the OGC family, which is the our global classroom that that Bronwyn Joyce in Australia started and it's expanded slightly, but there's still a very core group. Talk a little bit about how you got involved with uh, teaching overseas or teaching abroad, what attracted you to that and this idea of your outreach through global collaboration, why is that important to you?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's very important in these COVID times as well. It's kind of highlighted the importance of global collaboration. Um, So how I got involved in international teaching was that, I guess, I've always loved to travel. Um, I've always loved to experience different cultures um, and experience um, or learn, basically. Mm -hmm. And being embedded in the different society and different cultures allowed me to expand my my, um, knowledge of different cultures and different viewpoints. Um, and that's kind of where international education kind of fits in. I can educate, but I can also be educated at the same time. Right. And also the different perspectives. So obviously in New Zealand, we have a certain perspective of the way we teach, but um, through global PLN, not only through um, face-to-face, but all through, through Twitter and other social media, um, it's been a very powerful tool. To connect with different ideas and how I can kind of develop those and extend those and maybe even share my own ideas with other educators to extend their mm-hmm. practice um, because I've become in the last well lockdown has allowed me to think a lot and reflect a lot around um, leadership in schools and the mm-hmm. idea that really educators or teachers should be be the leaders That we can have to kind of flip the system in a way that it shouldn't be right. just, well, I guess for the US audiences it shouldn't just be state edicts it should be the educators themselves uh, driving the change in schools, because we know our our learners. Um, And so that involves um, collaboration with other educators around the world, because they have different practices and different approaches that we might not be familiar with. Uh, And and I guess this different uses of ideas and and concepts can only improve um, our our practice as, as educators.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what's really nice is that it's free professional development. Mm -hmm. You know, a a lot of times, I think more so lately than than before, we didn't really look at uh, Twitter, social media and collaborating globally uh, with others, exchanging ideas, collaborating even on your own campus as professional development. But obviously, you know, the more we listen, the more we learn from others. And uh, I like the fact that you also said, and the, the things that you are able to share with others, because I know you're very giving of your time and you offered a lot of professional development uh, to various uh, groups, um, not just in your own school or in Malaysia, but also overseas. Is that something that you enjoy doing and what kinds of things do you enjoy presenting?
1: Um, yeah, well, considering the last week, I've been up at 1.30 in the morning, uh,
0: oh gosh yeah so that was really pertinent
1: (laughs) with microsoft yeah so it's been um yeah i do kind of like there are teachers out there who are struggling Mm -hmm. um and it's just about having someone out there who can help them and just say well it's it's going to be all right we've all gone through this and we should be able to share our so it's basically by sharing the load um, it can actually uh, improve outcomes for not only teachers, reduce their stress levels, but also for all our learners. And that's, at, at, at the heart of it, that's, that's basically the most important thing that our learners, um, well, our, our students, um, are able to become better citizens, and that can only happen through collaborating between ideas rather than a, a competition model that seems to be uh, prevalent at the moment. Right
0: we focused on teachers, educators collaborating globally, but you uh, also do global collaborations with your students and encourage that with uh, for others, uh, especially through the GCN of ISTE. But um, how do you how do you look at that? How do you do that with your own students? Um, maybe some examples of how you've done that.
1: Yeah, so one example has been the recent uh, Climate Action Group um, with Ku and Timbers and uh, Dr. Gene Williams. So basically, I managed to collaborate with a school in Moldova, uh, wow. in the, even though we Moldova
0: was.
1: <laughs> uh, nice. um, yeah, so it was basically um, comparing and contrasting climate change action in Moldova compared to climate, ac- ac- uh, climate action here in Malaysia, as we have different, um, obviously, approaches. And um, also driving um, plastic use, because a major issue here in Malaysia is a lot of countries like Australia, the UK, and New Zealand, I'm sad to say, uh, recycle their plastics by just sending it to Malaysia. And my state, Johor, where I'm in at the moment, they just oh. basically burn it. So they buy it. They say, oh, we can handle it. But then they just either burn it or they just oh my goodness. Uh, put it. Yeah. So. So when we say we're recycling plastics, uh, not so much. Mm. No, not so much. Because what happened was that China refused uh, these countries uh, access now and they're saying, well, we've got too much pollution. You sort your own problems out. So then Malaysia said, well, we can deal with it. And then these mm. countries have now sent their plastic to Malaysia. This is one issue that uh, my students have been highlighting to to other um, students in, in Australia, UK and New Zealand saying, well, You've really got to pressure your governments uh, around how to use plastics or how they actually recycle plastics. Yeah,
0: that's that's an amazing way for them to be able to, on both sides, to be able to uh, do perspective taking, mm. because you know if if we're told in Australia, New Zealand, and so forth and around the world that we're recycling and we put that plastic bottle in the recycling bin. We forget, tend to forget about it. They told me it was recycled, whatever, but to hear from students in Malaysia, who are obviously affected by the pollution that the burning of the plastics caused uh, That must be a real aha moment for students. How do the students react, um, both in Malaysia and uh, in, you know, in the other countries when they realize there's this gap in understanding or knowledge, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, they were, they, the New Zealand and Australian students were quite shocked in that sense. They thought they were doing a good thing by recycling, but then it's about the entire supply chain of that plastic from when they put it in the recycling bin to what actually happens at the end. Um, yeah. And it was quite interesting. Well, it's an expat school, but um, mm-hmm. the expats kind of re- uh, kind of enforcing, well, it's not quite as, as what it seems. So. We're doing a lot around uh, trying to reuse and recycle, especially the um, the milk bottles, Um, and milk Mm -hmm. milk bottle caps. We're making plates and and kind of things around that as well. So there's some some digital uh, not design technology stuff around that. So kind of extends into other curricula. Yeah,
0: yeah. So sort of sort of a a bit of project based learning, which is really nice. Which I I know is something that you're you're into also. Tell me a little bit more about roots and shoots and I know Kukuma is sort of on hold right now, but you did quite a few lessons. I'm wondering with having those students online, what are the kinds of things that you do, especially because uh, I assume you're teaching science, I'm not sure what level you're teaching them at. But in terms of engaging them, I hate that word engaging, but in terms of really catching their attention, uh, having them be able to relate to what you're teaching? because I'm not sure if they have a lab there or they have any kinds of hands-on kinds of things. So how, how do you go about your lessons when you're doing that for them?
1: Um, well, I guess breaking it down. So Kakuma, I started off teaching the curricula, uh, and then it became, because they had the ability to do it, they could record short five-minute videos uh, of those particular lessons. So I actually got my students here in Malaysia to make those videos for them. Oh wow! They gave a very different perspective as well because they had an authentic audience. So it's like, they were quite surprised. Like, oh, people in Kenya, they can speak English. We don't have to, yeah. They were wow. surprised by simple things like that. I guess their vision yeah. of Africa was based around the Lion King. So it was a, an opportunity <laughs> for them to yeah. learn about Kenya and the mm-hmm. refugee situation. Um, but yeah, it was um, grade four, I think it is. So it's kind of primary school level. So my school, my students are high school. So they had to think about the kind of language to use and what graphics to use, and yeah, kind of how to approach it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of designing five to 10 minute lessons. So that was Kakuma. Uh, and then for STG, um, it's really more a mentor process. So mm-hmm. we start off just providing an example of an STG. So for me, it was STG four and STG 12, sustainable development and use um, mm-hmm. of resources. Um, and then it became kind of like, what's a Dragon's Den? I don't know if you have an American equivalent. But, um, so basically, they, they have to propose an idea, and then we have three teachers basically interviewing them and critiquing their ideas. So, for example, they're trying to recycle paper um, to use as fuel, and does that compare well with the coal that they're using? Um, uh-huh. Or, for example, using um, paper with fertilizer, trying to increase their plant, Um, quantities and and things like that so we kind of wasn't necessarily around science but my spirituality Mm -hmm. was science so my question is more around science but we were just kind of was it basically they're doing project-based learning as well they choose Mm -hmm. dg and then they develop a project around it to try and improve in their own local community
0: yeah so through your questioning through the mentor questioning then you're able to have them reflect on Possible problems or bumps in the road that they might see, or things People that they.
1: Opportunities as well, yeah.
0: Oh, that's true. Yes. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Did you did you find that process um, of doing the online, either mentoring or the online classroom, uh, a bit difficult? Because I know that, and of course you weren't doing it every day like you're doing in your in your current classroom in Malaysia because of the situation, but. Did you find that was difficult? Did you have to sort of um, change things up a bit as you were doing things? Or did you reflect afterwards uh, when you taught a class and do it a bit differently the next time?
1: I guess it wasn't really teaching in a sense. I mean, the the, Mm -hmm. the internet connectivity was an issue still. Oh, okay. In Tanzania. But I mean, the ideas that they had were quite well thought out. Um, So it was just basically Mm -hmm. designing simple experiments for them maybe to test their models, so like a project-based learning so you, you basically sort of have right. a prototype and then once you go to prototype mm-hmm. how do you develop that prototype and, right. and thinking about the authentic audience as well
0: yeah yeah interesting um you, you mentioned travel and that you love to travel and so I, i'd love to talk a little bit have you talk a little bit about where you've been some of the places that really made an impression on you Uh, What you learned about the culture, because I know you're really keen to learn other cultures, learn about other cultures, um, some of their language, I I imagine, also. So uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Where do I start? So I've been to about 80 countries, I think. Uh, My (laughs)
0: goodness. So I didn't realize it was that many. That's awesome.
1: Um, So, yes, usually when I go to ISTE, I then spend um, two months in South America, Um, Mm -hmm. that plan, Um, so I really enjoyed uh, Mexico with the food as well but also the the history Um, so and and previously the last ISTE which was 2019 not sadly 2020 which was online um, I decided to go to Peru so it was quite interesting seeing the um, experiences of the Inca people and their Mm -hmm. kind of view of science and what they saw science as being very much with the astrology Um, and also kind of interacting the experience of the other cultures before the Incans and comparing that to the Spanish uh, domination of the Incan culture. So the Incans.
0: Oh, how fascinating.
1: In, in the year, in the 1500s. Right. Yeah, there, there was, but they were suppressing <laughs> other cultures at the time. And then the Spaniards turned up and then oh. the them. So that's kind of an interesting um, progression. So I found yeah. that interesting. Um, China is amazing in terms of its diversity um, and yeah, very much a different kind of culture and, and Asia in general the idea of saving face um, so I know for um, the U.S. for example um, the idea of, of what's the term It's blowing your own trumpet I don't know if that's a really mm-hmm. thing in the States. Yes true. Um, yeah so basically being positive and trying to sell your story you mm-hmm. don't really do that in Asia it's all about mm-hmm. saving face and being humble and the idea that the, the collective is actually more important than the individual. So you would sacrifice yourself for the collective, which is yeah. very much uh, an opposite to the Western model of the individual is, is, has primacy.
0: The focus, yeah.
1: Focus, yeah. So that was an interesting kind of aside side there. Yeah. Um, and then Australia was interesting too, because Australia, we, we, it was interesting for Microsoft E2, it was all about G'day and koalas. But there is also a... Long indigenous community, which has been there mm-hmm. for a hundred thousand years, which isn't wasn't really even mentioned or discussed. Um, so you have to go back, and they have their own languages. There are over uh, eight hundred different right. tribal Aboriginal languages, right. um, which aren't. And ever- a
0: very rich culture.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, which isn't even really considered in, in, yeah. in, in the like as it were. Those yeah. are those Three examples. Yeah, There's
0: unfortunately, a- yeah.
1: I guess for New Zealand as well, being in New Zealand of the Maori culture, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting around, because at the moment in the US, there's a big discussion point around uh, culturally appropriate teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that New Zealand has grappled with the last 10 to 20 years. Um, and there is um, kind of, my, my own hometown actually, Lytton High School, has developed uh, or still maintains uh, the Te Kaitoge Tanga um, Protocol, which is the effective teaching protocol, which is how you would do con- culturally responsive teaching. Um, oh. and, and is from so Brazilian there's lots to
0: be learned from
1: that, right? There is indeed, um, because we, had prob- we, st- well, we still have problems mm-hmm. with uh, educational underachievement for the Indigenous people, but that's just mm-hmm. one approach that has been very successful, uh, which could oh. be implemented uh, in other countries um, because it is kind of a broad uh, overview of how to uh, cult- teach in a culturally appropriate way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And for our listeners is definitely something that they, they could look into because I'm, I'm sure they would find resources um, about, about that. I, it's uh, interesting about, uh, I, I wanted to take you in that direction. So thank you for, even though you didn't know, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, living in New Zealand and your experiences there and how that has sort of uh, shaped or framed Um, The way you teach, the way you look at life, um, just and maybe just tell us a little bit more about New Zealand, because we hear a lot about it. We certainly hear about uh, the prime minister a lot, but um, uh, which is great that we're even hearing anything about New Zealand because for a long time we didn't. But tell us a little bit more about your experiences growing up there and um, just, you know, share a little bit about how that sort of framed how you live. I know that culture is very important to you.
1: Um, yeah, well, where I'm from is um Akiwa, or, or Gisborne, as the English name would be. Um, so it's a very rural place. It's very isolated. It's about three hours' drive from anywhere else. Um, and I didn't wear shoes, I didn't realize, until about 12 years old, um, which is a very New Zealand oh. thing, in a way. Um, so They then, say,
0: actually, that's good for your feet. Sorry to interrupt you. It's <laughs> supposed indeed. to be good for you, yes.
1: Well, I guess it's to compare and contrast with Australia and New Zealand. So in Australia, they... I tend to want to control um, the land, whereas um, in New Zealand the land is part of us, as it were. It's the the Tūrangawaewae, the place where I stand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very much an important part. So seventy percent indigenous, the school that I, I went to, seventy mm-hmm. percent Maori, um, and rugby was a very important part of the culture. Even though I didn't really play the game very much. I was more a nerd. I was more into, into science. Yeah. Um, yeah but I I think um, the important aspect with the Maori culture was the idea of community. Um, So he, i waka, hinoa, which is we are all in this waka, this boat together with no exception. That's something I even tell my students now in the classroom Mm -hmm. that we're all in this together. Okay. There's no, just one person. Um, And I guess also the the kumara does not tell how sweet it is as well. So there's the idea of um, humility as well, um, which again, I guess is completely, Maybe a contrast with, say, the, the Western model, um, especially the US, around um, maybe humility. The idea of humility is not being a strong point. Um, yeah, um, so what does it mean in terms of my teaching? Well, I guess also the New Zealand education system is a lot freer in the sense that um, you can take more risks um, with the right. teaching, and I guess that's how I've extended myself in my teaching at the moment. Um, my motto being, uh, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I, just, I, just, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. I just tend to do it. And if it works, then cool. If it doesn't, then man, no one needs to know about that. We'll just yeah, yeah. move on. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so those are those are kind of the important things, the importance of community as well, and that you have to know your learners, which I guess is the culturally appropriate practice as well. That you have to know your learners before you can actually teach them, and that Relationships um, are the most important thing in the world. So that's that's basically um, what's the most important thing in the world? Titangata, titangata, titangata. The people, the people, the people. Um, mm. So yeah, so community. Yeah.
0: yeah. So th- there's a really strong background of that whole idea of belongingness and community and connectedness, and not really so much team because when we think of teams, sometimes we think of competition, but more of this. Um, tribe, which, you know, some people don't, don't want to um, use that word anymore because of the indigenous nature of it, but I still see people using that, that whole idea of the culture of the tribe, which is everybody is, you know, working for each other as a, a goal to, to try to make sure that we're all taken care of. So yeah. that's, that's really interesting about the background. You mentioned about your your students and how you bring those concepts into your classroom. Um, and I know you started uh, to talk a little bit at the beginning when you were describing what you're doing about your interest in AR and VR and um, other types of digital animations because the concepts that you're teaching in chemistry, and I think you teach physics also, right? Are sometimes very difficult for students to understand. So What sort of, not got you started with that, but how do you see that as being purposeful and intentional in your classroom? And and how do you use that? How do the students respond to that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of concepts in chemistry and physics are quite abstract. And I guess by having the augmented or uh, virtual reality there, it kind of grounds them in a a visual metaphor for that particular Mm -hmm. experience. So for example, the idea of oxidation reduction in chemistry just have the equations, it doesn't really make a sense in their mind about what's happening. But if they can actually immerse themselves into a solution and Mm -hmm. see what's happening to those ions as electrons are being displaced or um, added, then it actually gives them more grounding and and kind of more into a real world view of what's actually happening in the process. Right,
0: yeah. Uh, For for someone who uh, always struggled with the sciences uh, I never did take physics. I, I didn't. Ha- I wasn't required at the time when I went through high school. But um, I know I it would have been difficult for me because I found chemistry difficult also, and that was many, many years ago. So it would have been nice to have you as a teacher to be able to show, show me that visual because I, you know, that's that's one of the ways that I, I learned best. And so, just wondering. As somebody who has intended to learn more about virtual reality and augmented reality, uh, has seen it demonstrated at ISTI and other places, um, it feels daunting to get to know. So what would you recommend or what do you recommend when teachers are interested in looking into those kinds of uh, things in terms of tech tools um, and the ability to see things in a different way and let your students see things in a different way. How how do we get started? What what would you recommend?
1: I think to keep it simple, um, something called the Merge Cube would be quite useful. Um, Mm -hmm. The Merge Cube basically is where you have a device and you can project uh, onto a cube, which you can print out free uh, on um, merge.com, I think. Um,
0: I'll look it up. I'll be sure to put it in the show notes.
1: Indeed. Um, yeah, and they can actually see a beating heart, for example, in their hands, uh, which is actually quite powerful, a uh, hook mm-hmm. to get them into, say, a circulatory system. Or they have the solar system where they can actually observe the sun in the center and you can see the actual positions mm-hmm. of the different planets. That would be a, a good start. And it doesn't have to be overly expensive. You don't have to use mm-hmm. your obvious rifts. Uh, you can just use, use car- cardboard um, uh, VR goggles, and they're cheap, $2 US. Um, oh, that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. 2 or $3 US, and they can use their mobile phones um, devices um, mm-hmm. to just visualize something into three dimensions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That must be amazing. Do you introduce that early in the, in the year for your students, or do you wait for them to sort of have some concepts first and, and then start having them use I think it's them? Kind
1: of, yeah. I tend to, t- to go uh, hand in hand. So I've got the concepts there, and this is how we visualize yeah. the concepts. Um, so, for example, your yeah, chemical reactions and solution. I can actually mm-hmm. visualize it. was the, the brain, I guess, the cognitive psychology is another thing I'm interested in as well, and how you can use neuroscience in teaching. Oh, um,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. So, so, usually we have the PowerPoints where you get blah, 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 like the peanuts teacher. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um,
0: yes, I remember that.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's yes. a good
0: explanation, Michael.
1: The droning on of the teacher, um, mm-hmm. who's just speaking the words. Whereas the human brain actually works through the idea of of visualizing it and auditory. Um, Because if you have too many things going on, the brain just says, I can't deal with this. I'm shutting down. So if they actually have the goggles on and you can actually just verbally go through the process with them, then it's actually more effective Mm -hmm. uh, way of teaching.
0: Oh, interesting. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. I I keep saying, like I said, I, I keep saying that I'm going to, but... And now being in the classroom, there isn't something to drive me, but I really do want to try it because I think it's really an advantage to know about it and and to know how it works or understand how it works, even though I don't have students to be able to use it with. So uh, Michael, this has been really terrific. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to share or advice that you'd like to give our listeners before we finish?
1: Um, Yes, actually. Every Saturday um, at either 8pm Malaysian time or 8pm oh, yeah, Pacific time, a specific time. Um, mm-hmm. I have now co-collaborated with another educator in the States, uh, Nipur Sethi, and we are, and now have our new chat, uh, which is Worldwide Inclusive Education Chat, um, every first Saturday of the month. So it'd be great if some people could join us um, to discuss around inclusion, uh, global inclusion of educators. That would be quite useful. Yeah.
0: And I've joined and it's a really great conversation. And you're right, it would be wonderful to have more people join. It's great that you have somebody collaborating with you now in another time zone so that you're able to sort well, of expand.
1: I haven't, I haven't met her yet, but yeah, we, we, we met um, at Q, online Q. I um, mean, just we had an argument oh, on, on Twitter. And, oh, really? Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. I <laughs> mean, not that you had the argument, but that you met that way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you want to do a chat? Okay, yeah, let's do a global collaboration chat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, may I ask what was the argument about, and did anybody win? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it was um, about digital equity, actually. Yeah, so it was um, we, we came to a mutual agreement. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Yes. Yeah. And and I know you enjoy the debates, uh, from the side of being able to sort of look into things and um what was you were doing with one of your one of the other teachers, the the videos and it was, it was oh, really the, fun oh, the, to the
1: watch. The rap battle, yeah. That, that's what, yeah. <laughs> so basically, it was a between the business school and um, school and Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. so Rep battling. Yeah. Yeah that, yeah. that
0: was really funny. Yes. Yeah. You're very creative. That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, before we finish, I always like to ask my guests where's the best place to find you or best places to find you in case people want to hop off the podcast and. Getting, you know, look for you right away. I'll also include all of that in the show notes.
1: Um, the best way is probably on Twitter, um, which is at doctor, or one word, uh, underscore halves, H A R B E S.
0: And then, of course, the hashtag for the uh, first Saturday of the month Twitter chat is?
1: Hashtag W W I E D. I E D.
0: Perfect. Okay. I'll make sure to include that and the information about the merge cube so that people can go ahead and look for that too. Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know it's quite late there. I'm, uh,
1: happy. PM. I'm, I'm staying up for um, the fireworks. Okay.
0: Oh, okay. I thought it was okay. later. That's good. I got my time wrong as I usually do.
1: What's <laughs> well, the thing with the Microsoft thing? I thought it was, it was said, oh, it's MST, which I took for Malaysian standard time. Oh, 10.30 a.m. Malaysian standard. Finally, a good time. But it was actually Mountain Standard Time.
0: Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate your being no on the show today. Okay,
1: thank you. Right.
0: Take care and happy New Year. Right. happy New Year. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging check my website journeys to belonging that's journeys number two belonging.webstarts.com see you next week